Well, this, the scoreboard said I lost today, but what the scoreboard doesn't say is what it is I have found. Studios for June 25th, 2021. I'm Nima Nadaria alongside Parsa Sammy, and we're back this week to preview the Wimbledon Championships. Let's introduce our co host for this week, Parsa. How are you, my friend? I'm doing really well. How are you, Nima? Doing well. Still uh, back in, you know, we're here in Canada, still battling with COVID and restrictions. Obviously, it's loosening up a bit, but Nothing like the U.S. and uh, the the freedom that you guys have is uh, slightly different, but um, it is what it is. And Wimbledon is still going on. Luckily, after a one-year hiatus last year, it's back in action, and uh, most of the best players in the world have descended to the All England Club uh, to uh, you know fight for obviously the grandest trophy in the sport. It's going to be, uh, I think, an interesting fortnight, Parsa. To be honest. Maybe not the most like anticipated Wimbledon that I've been looking forward to, but because uh, you know it would have been better if like Nadal was there, Osaka was there, Halep was there, Team was there, you know Kyrgios was maybe in some better form, some stuff where we would have maybe some more engaging storylines as opposed to Djokovic probably easily will win the title, and then on the women's side I think it's a bit of a crapshoot. We'll get into that in a bit. Um, but just to quickly run down, we have obviously Osaka, who's missing the event. Uh, you know, she pulled out of the French Open after one match, you know, citing, you know, some uh, some mental uh, he- mental health issues. And she wants to take a break. And maybe, I, mean, I think she's playing the Olympics. I would be shocked if she doesn't play in her home country in Japan. That's just a, it's a massive market that's made her, you know, very, very rich young woman, so you'll, I think you'll see her over there. Uh, and we'll get into that in a second. Halep, the, technically the defending champion, is out. Nadal, I think, citing fatigue after Djokovic took him out of the French. And then team was playing in a warm-up event in Mallorca against Manorino, and he went out wide for a forehand, and he heard something in his wrist, which is not good news for him. Uh, so he's out. Um, so, that I mean, that's pretty much it. But... Parsa, talking about Osaka for a second, I just want to, again, you know, we could probably talk about all of these subjects, uh, you know, even for an hour. But in my opinion, extremely poor uh, PR management by Osaka's team. I mean, you have a relatively very introverted tennis player, right? Very shy. And you just absolutely, you know, thrust her into the limelight and, you know, endorsement deals coming out of everywhere, made $55 million last year. What do you expect is going to happen? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not a, uh, you know, a person like LeBron James or, you know, another player, even like a Federer who can really embrace and manage, you know, the limelight and likes to be around it. You know what I mean? Like, these guys love it. Tom Brady, you know, even Serena, you know, she, I think she, she deals with it really well. Sharapova was really good at it. So you gotta, you gotta see what you're doing, right? Like everything, as you've always said, there's always a price to pay, right? Putting this type of a person in this type of an environment with these types of expectations, something's got to give, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, there's been some, you know, I think exaggeration out there, um, you know, there's a lot in the media that say, you know, Osaka should be, you know, it's got a duty and this is her job and this is what she signed up for and blah, blah, blah. The truth is, everyone out there, that's not exactly what she signed up for. She signed up to hit a tennis ball and to play a sport. And she didn't practice starting at five, six, seven, eight years old thinking, all right, what are my media obligations going to be when I make it to the French Open? You know, that's not 
what she is. What she is is a tennis player, and she wants the she loves the sport and wants to play the sport, and it's uncomfortable. And I think it's, you know, I take a more human approach to it. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, she's a human being, and as much as I I want to hear about her, I let me pose this question to you actually, Nima. While I, I was about to say it, would you rather not have Osaka at all, or would you rather watch her play and not have her speak post? Well, I mean, you know, what she did at the U.S. Open last year was great. You know, brought a lot of awareness to, like, Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement and everything. So that was fantastic. Um, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I understand what you're saying. But when you are coming up in the ranks, right? So she hasn't been, she has four Grand Slam titles now, right? So she hasn't just become famous. I mean, she beat Serena Williams in that really, you know, fiery match a couple of years back in New York. Um, and that, so she's kind of, she's had some time to get used to it. And obviously, like, people are there to talk to her about it and prep her. You know, she's signing a massive Nike deal, Yonix, all of these, tag, just you name it, Louis Vuitton. There's a lot of stuff happening, right? Um, I just think the argument can be made that and I, I have no problem in saying this, that her parents, as well as her management, maybe even herself, because you got to blame yourself too sometimes, right? We're just being selfish. And they said, listen, you know what? We're going to just take all the money and see what happens. And this is what's happened. And that's really my opinion on it. I'm not discounting mental health. It's massively important. It's very like important that everybody talks about it and they're not shy to you know convey their feelings and emotions ever. She's at the end of the day a human being. But I'm saying that you have this type of personality and you've given her this type of you know environment to work within, something's got to give. That's that's like ultimately my point with that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'd still rather watch her play though. Um, of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the women's draw already suffers from, you know, a, a lack of star power, especially with, you know, Serena not being able to be there. And, you know, I don't know. I, I find the, the women's game um, was getting really interesting. And then it's like tapered off again. Uh, I did not find the French Open to be nice to watch in any way, shape or form. Um you know, you you sort of just it, it, it's just I didn't I didn't enjoy it at all. So um, whereas in Australia I really did. So I, I thought there was going to be a, a corner turn there, and I think Osaka is a big a, a big part of that. Uh, she's an incredible player and an incredible athlete, and I want to watch her play. I don't I don't care if she wants to talk or not. That's me as a fan. You know, I couldn't give a damn. And honestly, Nike and all these people throwing her money, they also couldn't give a damn because. No. They, they, they just want her to be on the stadium, you know, and, and, you know, would it be nice to have a little extra exposure in a press conference with a Nike emblem on her chest? Sure. But she's also shooting, you know, and in Japanese Vogue, like they're getting plenty of exposure, you know. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just find like I, I feel like there could be a better solution and instead of it being, you know, my way or the highway mentality, I think there, there needs to be an adjustment. And, you know, frankly, you know, again, like uh, it's her, her actions on a tennis court are significantly more important to me than the words she says in a post-match press conference. And in no way, shape or form do I ever want to exchange her ability to or her ability to not speak, which therefore means she can't play. Like that's that's absolutely absurd to me. Um, and I don't care how much money someone's getting and I don't care, she's getting that money because she knows how to hit a tennis ball, manipulate a tennis ball, fight and win matches. Not because she knows how to speak in a post-match presser and how that makes her feel. And, and is there a certain type of entitlement possibly to it or like, you know, she can do it because she's at a certain level absolutely there is you know but that being said you know she's in a position where someone like me is going to say i don't give a damn i want to watch you play so you know what you do you 
And is that is that unfair? It possibly is very unfair, but but it's like we're putting this cloth over everyone's eyes in tennis. Like what the the top five in the world, the top ten in the world don't have advantages over the guy who's a hundred in the world or the woman who's a hundred in the world. I mean, it's nonsense, right? The sport has been littered with entourages in the top five of trainers, masseuses, coaches, superstars, celebrity coaches, you know, this guy, that guy, this one, that one, you know, and then the person who's 80 in the world can't even afford to pay for their luggage to go on the on the plane. You know, like you're talking a, a, a great disparity that has always been in the sport, you know, and until you start to even things out, you know, you, or, or, or pay more money to the lower ranked players, you're always going to have this sense of unevenness. And there is going to be a different rule book for the ones that are up there, the ones that are really bringing the money in for the sport. There's going to, there has to be a second set of rules. And I know like, we're all like, you know, really good people and law abiding citizens. And, you know, we, we think we should do the right thing. And so we should treat everyone fairly. The world doesn't play by those rules. So I'm going to get off my uh, life rant here, but um, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Hopefully she'll be back for the Olympics and then in NYC, which I definitely think she will be uh, because she loves the hard courts and you know she's going to be hoping to get back to her winning ways. And, and we, like you said, we'd all like to see her back on the court. Um, moving on now to a couple other great players. Now, Parsa, will it be their last Wimbledons? Roger Federer and Serena Williams both ha- are the number seven seeds as well, which is ironic for this year's championship. Both haven't won a Grand Slam in a few years. Uh, Federer coming back from injury has had a really, you know, subpar season if you think about it. Like he he went to Doha and uh, lost, I think, second round to Basilashvili played in Geneva, lost first round to Pablo Andujar, went to the French Open, won three rounds against pretty good competition, but not guys who are really crushing it these days, but not too bad. Then he had to withdraw because for whatever reason, he didn't want to fatigue himself or get injured against Berrettini. So he pulled a ripcord on the fourth round. Then he played in Halle, won his first round tight, over Ivanchka or something like that, uh, I think six and five, six and five, and then he played against uh, Felix Ojeda-Aliassime, and he got beat very handily in the last two sets, and that's basically Roger Federer in a nutshell in the last two years of tennis. Then you got Serena. I'll let you comment on on that in a second, and then you have Serena coming in pretty much playing the same type of schedule that she's maintained the last couple of years, absolutely centered around the Grand Slams, playing a couple warm-ups, she didn't play any grass. Um, and I don't know, I mean, listen, both, what, 40 this year, haven't won a slam in a bit. Are they happy with, like, if Federer loses second round here, you're, you think he's, he won't, right, which is fine. I'm saying if he does, Serena loses second, third round, are they coming back in 22? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think as long as uh, the health is there, I think, yeah, because, you know, you know Federer is not in, in tip-top form yet. So he's, even if he loses second round, he's that's that's going to be the conversation in his head. Like, I, I didn't have, a, you know, three, four tournaments under my belt before going, um, you know, and, and playing this, this, you know, big game or whatever it is and especially on grass where his timing is crucial it's you know he's got to be in in fine form um when it comes to serena you know i'm not sure with serena serena's a, a bit trickier um you know she's definitely pursuing you know the overall slam title and so i think that i think that's just going to keep her going she's going to keep trying um you know she's still does relatively well even though she's not winning them she's doing very well um and you know she's not she's not necessarily the level that she's been her entire career but she's still you know whatever it is top 10 in the world six in the world whatever she is um and still competing at a very high level and giving herself chances um and i think both of them need a lot of help in order to get to the end um, and hold the trophy 
but I don't think that these these two competitors are necessarily about. I mean, they're obviously all about winning, but it's it's you know it's also trying to to extend their time out there. They love being on the court. They love being in the limelight. They love being um, in important matches. And I think and you can only get that at the in your tennis career. You know, you're not going to get those important moments when you're done. So I think that's yeah. what they crave, um, and I think that's what we got here. Now, let me give you a sub-question here. Serena and Federer both win Wimbledon this year. Then what happens? It's a good one. Um, and that would make Serena tied, right? Correct. So she would keep going. Um, and Federer... You know... No Fed- better way to go out, man. I know, but I don't. I don't see it like that. I, I don't see him that kind of guy. But I don't know. I could be wrong. You know, I don't see him. Uh, you know, top of the game. You know, like Sampras did or whatever, and just be like, I'm out and make an exit. You know, because um, yeah. I just think I think the guy can play till he's, you know, 43, 44. I mean, he's significantly better than almost the entire tour. So, you know, until until he starts to like drop out and starts to lose to guys who are like 40 50 in the world consistently you know i think then it'll be something else or if he just can't simply stay healthy which is already starting to you know that's where age is catching up to him you know it's not his skill set or his level it's his body's just not able to um and we're starting to see that okay yeah i i think i'm pretty much on the same page as you although i think there's got to be some sort of enticing part about retiring as the Wimbledon champion. But I think, like you said, he loves tennis so much. Uh, Serena, for sure, will keep going because she wants to get 25 and, and be the undisputed leader. Um, and then Fed, I just think he likes playing, like kind of like Murray, right? He just he loves being out there and, and hitting balls and being a part of the whole situation and tour. Um, okay, so now let's talk about a very active player who is in the midst potentially of doing something that hasn't been done parsa since 1988 when Steffi Graf did it winning the golden grand slam uh Djokovic has won the Australian Open he's won the French Open he's coming in now to Wimbledon uh as number one seed overwhelming favorite then he's got the Olympic Games in Tokyo in his sights then capped off by the glitz and glamour of the uh, the U.S. Open. So I think it's it's going to be something to see. I'm a big fan now, man. I'm a big Djokovic fan now. Really? So just to let you know, oh yeah, because you know what it is. The guy's incredible, man. He's just you, it's like okay. So here's the thing, right? People are like, you got to wait till their careers are done to say who's the goat. And I do agree with that. But if we're talking about right now, here and today. For me, Djokovic is the best player of all time. Even though he's still at 19 slams and Federer and Nadal have 20, Djokovic has won the career Grand Slam twice. He's been number one for the longest amount of time. He has a positive head-to-head record against Nadal and Djokovic. Pardon me, against Nadal and Federer. He's won every single Masters 1000 event. He's won the Davis Cup. He's won numerous uh, World Tour finals. I mean, what has he not done? And if you think about, and he's beaten Nadal at the French twice. I know he's beat Federer at Wimbledon at least once in that epic final a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if he's beat him on another occasion. So I can't verify that right now. But what I do know is that it's almost easier to say what he doesn't have. Because yes, Federer is one French open away from doing the same thing, but that's never gonna happen. Nadal is one Australian Open away from doing the same thing, having all these Grand Slams twice. But he hasn't won the Australian Open since 2009. So next year, it'll be 13 years since he's won the Australian Open. I really don't think it's going to happen. So it's obviously Nadal's going to be the best, you know, clay court player of all time, undisputed. Djokovic is going to be for sure the best hardcore player ever, ever. Better on grass. I think he's kind of there right now. But if Djokovic wins again, I think, what does he have? Six? He'll have six. 
He's and then Federer has how many? Seven? I don't I don't know how many Wimbledon's Federer has, but it's I think it's seven Wimbledon's. Yeah, I think I think it's seven. And so it's you know what I mean? Like this is for me, you look at defense, you look at offense, you look at the will to win. Just look at what he had to do in the French Open. Down two sets to love against Musetti, and I believe the fourth round, comes back and he wins that. Nadal beating Nadal super tough physical match coming back two sets to love down against Sissipas comes back and wins the tournament that's I mean if if this guy doesn't have you know you talk about Nadal being an absolute animal which he is I mean Federer to me is not a grinding type of guy that's why he he, he doesn't ever have to even his prime he wasn't doing these types of things but uh, I mean for me Djokovic is with all of that being said, he's the best player ever. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's it's tough to say. It's it's not over yet. Um, I don't look at him as as the greatest of all time. I think he he's younger, um, and yeah. you know, I think the you know the, the I think that plays to his advantage a little bit. Um, and you know, he was able to sort of see and learn from great players and know what it took and, and it pushed him to that level um, I don't look at his um, you know I don't know I you know whether I, it's it's tough for me to tell I mean is he certainly up there I mean he has to be you know it's impossible it's it's I think he's going to be eventually there um, is he right at this moment um, you know I agree with all your arguments statistically it's very hard uh, to say differently um i think what what djokovic hasn't done um as effectively as nadal and 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 federer have is embrace people and embrace the crowd and and i think um i think that part of it you know part of being a great champion is also being held in that regard more than you're just statistics you know and and sometimes it's it's more that it's it's an aura about you, and I don't know. Djokovic at times has, you know, he just hasn't always embraced it. You know, he's always sort of like a, is whining and complaining, and he's kind of one of those players that when it's not going his way, it's you know, there's something, there's an ailment, there's there's always, you know, and it's it's. It remains to be seen. I think those days of him doing that kind of thing are done. And I think the next couple of years will be very telling in his legacy. And, and what I mean by that is, how is he going to embrace the crowd? How is he going to, you know, because now he's going to be the, the guy that everyone's going to come after. And is the crowd going, going to push him to to extend his career and extend his, his, uh, his life on tour? And... I think if that flip can happen for the first time in his career where he's got overwhelming support, I think you're going to see the legacy be what you're saying it is. Um, I just don't think it's there yet. Yeah, I mean, and I've thought about this. There's no question that Federer and Nadal are more popular and they've transcended sport. They had that rivalry before Djokovic really you know, came up. They're playing like almost all the slams, right? Rome finals, all of these like really cool matches. But the problem is, is that if we're looking at it from a popularity contest, I really don't think that that can define you as the greatest player ever. The greatest player ever for me is the player that has, um, you know, relatively like, again, like, you know, look, look at Margaret Court and she won like what, 12 Australian Opens when the competition was arguably nowhere nearer than it is today, as an example. So that's a bit different. Rod Laver, for me, is potentially, you could say he's right there too, because he had five years where he didn't play anything, right? So he won, what, 11, 12 slams. Imagine he played in those five years. He would have had probably 10 more. So he would have been probably the leader right now. He probably had like 22 or something, right? So it's, um, you don't know. I mean, it's, but for me, Djokovic, just in terms of his actual game I, I, and his competitiveness and his willingness to win and just figure it out, 
against really good competition consistently is to me one of the, the more outstanding things. I mean, you, even if you look at a guy like Federer, he hasn't won, when was the last time he won the US Open? 2008, it's like 15, 14 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like he won, yeah, I know he won the Australian Open a few years back, but you know, and it's also tough to compare because Federer is six years older than this guy, right? So that's a completely almost different era. He's, he was playing with Agassi and, you know, Safin and those guys, right? Like, and Hewitt, Djokovic is coming up playing against Federer, playing against Nadal. So there is definitely, you know, you got to be realistic and put that into the equation. But I mean, Djokovic, watch out, man, because he could have an easily like another two, three years of playing really, really well. And he could get to even 25 slams and and put this all to bed. So, you know, those are just my thoughts on that. We could obviously elaborate a lot more on the uh, on the GOAT debate, but we're here to preview Wimbledon Parsa, and that's exactly what we're gonna get into now. Uh, so let's start with the women's draw. We have Ash Barty, who is the uh, bookmaker's favorite to win the tournament. She starts off against uh, Suarez Novaro, uh, who's obviously coming back from cancer. So great to see her back in action. It's her final Wimbledon. So there's going to be some emotional moments in that one, but you have to favor Barty uh, in coming through. Um, and, I, and I mean, I pretty much I'm, I pretty much like her in this section. I mean, if Andrescu can get back into form, you, you like her competitiveness a little bit like an Nadal and Djokovic, where she hates to lose and she'll do whatever it takes to win. Um, but I don't think she's there quite yet right now with her body and her stamina and everything. So I like Barty to get through there. And then in the second uh, quarter, we have Serena Williams, we have uh, Svitolina, um, but then we also have players like Ben Chage and Coco Goff and former winner Angie Kerber. So there's some, you know, some players here that we definitely need to watch out for. Um, I mean, but for me, I'm actually going to go with a bit of a wild card in the top section here, and I'm going to be going with Barty versus uh, Belinda Bencic uh, as your semifinalist. What do you have in the top half, Farsa? Yeah, so I've got um, I've got Barty, and I'm going to have a. Uh... Uh, Coco Goff out there in the semis. Um, nice. You know, I just think uh, I, I, you know, I'd like to say Serena Williams, but I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. It depends all how she's serving. I'll let everyone know all the all the people that are bookmakers or whatever the you know whatever you guys do. It's all about her serve. She's on, and watch out. Um, and if she's off, then she's gonna lose. Um, pretty pretty yeah. straightforward there. Um, in the bottom half. Um, you know, I just feel like Kvitova is going to be somebody who just, again, it can come down to the serve. She can swing the ball left and right, um, and she can get hot. And, and I think um, she's going to be my choice there and, and a good one at that. Um, and, you know, in the bottom half, you know, I'm, I'm more in the camp of, uh, you know, somebody who is just going to surprise us a little bit. And um, I, I think it's going to be someone a little bit stranger, like take a Maria Sakari, um, someone who's just going to sort of battle their way to the semis and and, and sort of uh, bow down. So I'll have a Sakari and, and Kvitova in, in the bottom half there um, with Kvitova advancing to the final. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a Barty and Goff, and, and it's going to be a barn burner, but I think Barty is the class of this tournament. Um, and uh, I'm going to have Barty advancing against Kvitova, and, and I'm going to have Barty, uh, you know, kind of winning a, a relatively straightforward somehow, if that's considered straightforward, but like 6-3 in the third, in the final. Okay. So as I mentioned, for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be going with Barty and Bencic in the top half as my semifinalists. In the bottom half, I'm going to be going with the two-time former winner, uh, Petra Kvitova. I think she obviously knows how to play on this surface and she's a great grass court player in general. Um, and then I'm also going to be going with another former winner in uh, Garbine Muguruza. I think that, uh, you know, she's been playing, you know, some good ball and she has an opportunity to, uh, to make some noise here. Uh, there's, like you said, I mean, Sakari just made the French Open semis. 
you have Sabalenka, who's the number two seed. She could very well lose for her first match against uh, Monica Nicolescu. She's, you know, slices and dices. I think she even slices her forehead. So it's a very interesting uh, matchup there. And, and amazing that, you know, Sabalenka's never made it past the fourth round of a Grand Slam. I'm not sure if you knew that, Barca. No, I didn't. But, yeah, like, it's just, it's incredible, right? She, she does so well on the main tour, winning 500s and 1,000 level events, but she can't put it together in a major. And she's coming in as the number two seed. Uh, I mean, if you look at her draw, like, look at what's in front of her, right? Qualifier, wildcard, qualifier, qualifier, qualifier. So she has an opportunity to definitely do some damage, but something has always happened, right? So is this the tournament that something doesn't happen? I don't think so. So that's why for me, in my, you know, if I'm putting money on this, I'm going to be going with Muguruza uh, to come through that bottom section. And then I will be going uh, with Muguruza to defeat Barty, actually, in the finals. Uh, I just think she's got a little bit better of a grass court game. Barty plays with a bit more shape and a bit more spin. Uh, obviously, a better mover. But I think when Muguruza is on, she hits a really good flat ball. And, you know, if she's playing well, I mean, that's why I think she can win the tournament, right? So, and then as my dark horse, and I'll get yours in a second, I'm going to be going with um, Amanda Anasimova, uh, another player who's, you know, very good range, you know, good athlete. And uh, I think she, you know, she had a breakthrough a couple of years ago reaching the you know the semis of the French and then she you know her, her father passed away and then she's been dealing with some injuries and you know she, I, I think it's almost around that time where she gets back in the mix and says listen you know I'm young and I'm here let's see what's going on so um, that's what I think uh, what, what do you have as your dark horse yeah so I you know dark horses are, are a little bit rough here um, as I feel like they, it's it's a little bit more challenging for anyone but I'm gonna go with uh, someone like Shelby Rogers. Um, I feel like you know she's got that all-around game that can that can hit and be, you know, can disrupt anyway. Um, I like the Anasimova pick as well, um, but I'm just just for you know someone else to watch out on. I think uh, Coco Vandeweghe being out there. I think you know we haven't heard from her in a long time. And she's been not healthy, and and who knows if she's if she's you know raring to go and and healthy, um, she's definitely a force to be reckoned with on grass. Yeah, that's actually a great pick. She's she's just recently come back from uh, numerous injuries, and and uh, credit to her for for getting back into the draw, and hopefully she can have a good tournament. Um, so, parts, let's change gears and wrap up with the with the men's draw. We have Djokovic going for his 20th Grand Slam, which would tie him, you know, square on the board with Nadal and Federer. He starts off against wildcard Jack Draper, who I saw play a little bit, I believe, in Queens, and uh, I believe he took out Sinner six and six in the first round. So, which is a great win for him. He's a lefty, uh, nice backhand. Pretty good serve, big, big young kid. So I think, you know, he, he's going to, I don't think it's going to be more than like a two, three and two for Djokovic. Um, Kevin Anderson is lurking in the second round potentially for, for Novak. Big serve, former finalist here as well. But again, not in the form, not even close to the form that he was when he made the US Open final as well as the Wimbledon final. Uh, so you like uh, you know Novak to go through there, and I mean pretty much from from that point, I mean you got Rublev as the as the fifth seed and you know the highest seed to face Djokovic in this section. But you know I look at this and I see a lot of clay quarters, Barca. I see uh, you know Fokina, I see Christian Garin. Absolutely, both of their best services are grass. Pardon me, are clay. You got Malfis. Again, Clay, Schwartzman, Clay, Sinner, we still really don't know, but we'll give him a bit more versatility. Fognini, Clay, Rublev, definitely hardcore, then Clay, then Grass. Then you got guys like Ramos Vinoles, you got Cuevas, I mean, Dalbanis. These guys are all way more proficient on a clay court, right? So for that reason, without any hesitation, 
I take Novak to go to the semifinals. And then at the bottom quarter here, we got Sisipas who said that, listen, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to get back on the podium in London. So he's coming in, you know, my only question with Steph here, Parsa, is mental fatigue. I think physically he'll be okay, right? Because he's doing all the right things. But mentally, will he be ready to go through another, you know, six, seven matches here? Uh, and then obviously it won't be seven because he'll have to face probably Novak in the semis. But uh, does he have even what it takes to get to the quarters in the semis? He's got TFO in the first round. You know, Francis is honestly been pretty disappointing to me in the last few years. I know he's a great guy and he tries and everything, but his game hasn't really rounded into form. We've got Hatchinov, who I think, honestly, he's already past his prime uh, and what he can do. Dan Evans, watch out for him. He's, he's great on the grass. Lopez, I mean, grass again, best it's his best surface, but he's like, he's turning 40 as well too. He's kind of done. Uh, and then we have Dinamir, who's going to try. You have Shapovalov, who I really like here. And then you got Batista Agut. And let's not forget Riley Opelka. So a lot of, lot of, lot of stuff going on here. But I'm actually going to be going Parsa. And you know I never favor Canadians, even though I'm Canadian. But I'm going to be going with Shapovalov to face against Djokovic in the semis. Who do you have in the top half? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't dispute your Djokovic uh, take. Um, Djokovic is a, is a, is a shoo-in for the semifinal. Um, and then in the bottom half, you know, I don't believe in the Canadians, Nima, um, at all. And and they, they're coming up soft for all the potential that I felt like they had. Um, Shapovalov, I don't know why his game is his physically is definitely getting to elite level status, but I just don't feel like he's there mentally. And somehow the consistency hasn't been there throughout a grand slam. And, and he's further away than someone like Sisipas is at this point. And um, as much as there may be mental fatigue, uh, you're going to hear me in the next four or five grand slam podcasts, picking Sisipas to go deep because I'm telling you the boy is coming. Um, and you know, he, Last year, I think he was the number one server. Like he held most, percentage-wise, his he held the most on tour. And I think on a on a grass court like this, I think he's going to have some easier points. And I think he's just, I think he's just built to be a pain in the butt. And I think he's the kryptonite to Djokovic's greatness. And I think we're just going to see a couple switches. And and like we saw in the French Open final. As much as that was a great comeback, I think a partial part of that was Sisipas needed that experience, right? Nemo, we've spoken about this in the past about a player who hasn't won yet and, and they kind of need to get burned a little bit to really understand that like, hey, even if you, even if his foot was just a tad bit off the accelerator, just a little bit, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, these guys will burst that open and will take advantage of anything that you give. And I think the next time that they play or the next two, three times that he goes into that depth, I think he's just going to keep going until it's just over, you know, and you just have to beat these guys down into the into the ground. Um, that being said, I don't think there's anyone this draw that's going to be um, knocking CeCe Pass out until the semis. You know, it's interesting, Barca. I remember 2015, I was at the U.S. Open and... Uh, Obviously, it was, you know, when I was staying with you and stuff like that, and I went down for the day to do some coverage, and my, my buddy Chris from Australia was there, and he was good friends with Sisipas because they had played, you know, in some futures and stuff like that in Greece, so they kept contact, and, and Steph was still in the, in the juniors. So we were, we were standing close to where the, uh, like right in front of Ash Stadium, and Steph came and he introduced me to him and he looked like this big tall surfer guy and, and then you know Chris was trying to pump him up because this is my buddy Steph Sissipas and you know I think he's going to be the number one player in the world one day and you know Chris being how he is my buddy he, you know he likes to talk up guys and stuff like that I was like oh, okay that's great <laughs> I'm saying like this is the time when you know you got Federer and Nadal and Djokovic you know just crushing everybody and then so he was playing a match on one of the outer courts and and we went to watch him and i was sitting beside chris and his dad and sisyphus's dad and i'll tell you it was one of the worst matches i've ever seen 
on any level. Sissipas was awful. He played against this small Spanish guy. I, I don't remember his name at all, but he he lost the first set 6-1. I don't think he put one one ball in the court. I think the only reason why he won a game was because the guy like double faulted a couple times on one of his service games. Second set, he came to life a little bit. I think he lost like 7-6, so he lost like 1-6. And, and then Chris asked me, what do you think? I was like, well, I don't know if this guy's even going to be top 250. You know what I mean? Because he was just, he didn't, he had, he obviously, yeah, he hit a couple big serves and, you know, he was shanking forehands and backhands all over the place. I thought he hit the ball too flat and he didn't have any shape on his ball. And he just looked very, like, out of it. And he had, and his dad was swearing at him in Greek. And it just looked like the whole dynamic wasn't what it needed to be, right? I, I, compared to a guy like Felix, who's got, you know, a much more, I would say, better infrastructure around him growing up and, you know, family supports him a little bit more, not negatively like his dad used to do and stuff like that. So, but look at what happened, you know, now you look at it six years onwards and you're talking about him as the guy that might stop Djokovic from getting to where he wants to get to. So just goes to show you everybody out there, don't, uh, don't, uh, count all of your chickens in one basket too quickly, right? Because um, you can uh, be wrong very quickly. So that's just my little um, awesome. story. And, uh, you know, Parson, now going on to the bottom half of the draw, <clears throat> we have Berrettini, who just won Queen's Club. I really like Berrettini, Parsa. I think he's a good guy. He's, he's good for the game. He's a good-looking guy. He's charismatic. You know what I mean? He plays well. He's got a massive serve. I mean, I saw one game he was playing, he played Murray, and he beat Murray easily in the second round. He served 143, 144, 141, and 140. Four, I mean, the guy's just, you know, he can he can make it rain easily, right? So um, do I think he's going deep here? Maybe, maybe, but I wouldn't bet on it. Let's put it that way. I mean, if I'm looking at this third quarter, as much as... I mean, I don't really necessarily want to see it. I think I'm going with Alexander's rep to go to the semis. I think he's got an easy enough draw. I mean, if you look at the players around him, there's nobody really... I mean, Fritz is coming back off of a knee surgery, which just took place a couple weeks ago. You got Kyrgios here. I mean, in form, absolutely, Nick could have been dangerous, which I would have absolutely loved to see because he's my favorite player to watch on tour. Uh, but in his current form, which is zero, realistically, I mean, how is he going to even beat Hugo Humbert, who just won a tournament yesterday, a couple of days ago, right? And who's a really good professional young player from France. Um, so for me, it's going to be Zarev. And then we go to the bottom half with Nadal not there. And I think even if he was there, uh, he would have still been the third seed because Medvedev is two in the world. You got Medvedev and lo and behold, Roger Federer, who plays against Adrian Manorino, whose favorite service, uh, surface is grass, pardon me. Then you got Gasquet, potentially second round. You got Cam Norrie, who's had a great campaign this year. Sonego, who's a fun guy to watch. Uh, Miami winner, Hubert Hercatch. So, I mean, then you got Dimitrov, who's, t I don't think he's going to do much. And then Silic, who has had a bit of a resurrection, winning a, a grass tournament um, a couple weeks ago against uh, Felix in the finals. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough, this last uh, quarter here, Parson, for me is tough. But I'm going to be going with Medvedev. Uh, and I'm going Djokovic, Shapovalov, Medvedev. I got Djokovic defeating Medvedev in the finals. And just to put the icing on the cake, going to give you my dark horse as well which is uh, Sebastian Corda really like what I'm seeing from him and I think he's going to have a great career and I think he can especially be very good on grass uh, how about you Parsa what do you think yeah I think the the lower uh, half of the draw here I mean I, I touched on those points you know with it's definitely exciting to have Kyrgios back but God knows what type of shape he's in um, you know you've got Certain uh, individuals named Roger Federer in the bottom half here. You've got, um, you know, Isner. You've got Nishikori. You've got Berrettini. There, there's definitely a, um, a good stash of players, uh, you know, shoved down here. So I think um, what I'm going to have is uh, I, I really believe that it's going to be somebody, you know, a little bit different coming through here. I'm going to go with uh, 
you know, uh, I don't know who I'm gonna go with, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Berrettini. I don't, but I don't believe in him, so I don't know if I should. Um, and it's only because I believe he's a better hard quarter. I think he's a bit of a clumsy mover, especially on a slippery surface. So, you know what? I'm gonna change my mind. I'm gonna go with. Uh... All right, it just keeps happening. I, I'm gonna take Nishikori to make the semifinal here. Um, I don't. Wow. Yeah, it's just every time I watch him play, he's amazing. Um, and I don't even know how he loses besides always getting broken down by the third round. You know, so that's probably what's going to happen here too. Um, he's probably just going to get beat up in some sort of injury, and and he's going to bow out and quietly, and I'm not going to even know what happened. But uh, he's he's so good, Nima. I don't know. Have you watched him play? Even when he plays these like two match tournaments. He's just so, he still takes the ball so early. He's so difficult to play with. And if he's on, forget it, um, on any surface. So I'm going to go with some some little wild card there with Nishikori. And I'm going to have uh, the the venerable, the old statesman. I, I just feel like Federer is, is, is going to find his way. Um, I, I just don't find the threat. I mean, Sonego might be some sort of threat to him. Um, Hubert Hurkacz might be some sort of threat to him. You know, Medvedev, you know, obviously is going to keep a lot of balls in the court and, and, and be challenging. I just don't see it, though. I, I, I'm not a big believer in Medvedev. Uh, you know, I feel like he hasn't evolved his game at all since the U.S. Open final a couple years back. And I think that is very telling to me. You know, I, I think you, you, Daniel, have plenty of evidence to know that your game has to evolve a little bit more to be a Grand Slam champion. He hasn't done it yet, so that's disappointing. The same thing with Sasha Zverev. Um, both those guys I look at with the talent to do so, but they haven't evolved. Um, and, and frankly, Berrettini too. You know, I haven't seen these guys move to the next level or even attempt to move to the next level in an effort to maintain their level, right? So, mm-hmm. which is what I think I see differently with Pass, which that's probably the clearest I've ever explained it. I think Pass is willing to take risks and throw all that he's done that's been great up to this point in order to reach for the slam. And I don't see it from the other guys. Um, I definitely don't see Felix doing it. I definitely don't see uh, Zverev doing it. I definitely don't see Medvedev doing it. Um, you know, it, it's it's really about, you know, you have to keep pushing. you got to keep improving day in and day out. And I haven't been seeing it from those guys. So I'm going to have a, you know, a Nishikori Federer in the bottom here. I'm going to have Federer advancing to the final, which is going to be big news across the world. Um, and then I'm going to have a, that Djokovic pass. I think it's going to be, um, I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just don't know. Um, and I don't think it's there yet, but I think uh, pass is planning a spoil party at come the U.S. Open time. Um, and, I, and I think we're going to have uh, Djokovic advancing to the final. I think we're going to have Djokovic winning again. And... So, you know, definitely the GOAT debate is going to heat up. I think he's going to go to Tokyo and win that too. And I think he's going to come to the U.S. Open and look out. If those two, Tsitsipas and, and Djokovic, are on opposite halves of the draw, ever I'm telling you right now, you're going to know who my pick is. Um, so look out. I think uh, we've got a spoiler alert happening. But for now, for Wimbledon, Novak Djokovic, champion. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> you can book in Serb. Uh, and it's amazing, like you know, you you watch him. Parsa, I don't know if you've been following, but you know he's playing this week too, right? He's playing doubles in Mallorca with uh, with like a journeyman type of Spaniard uh, during the finals. Surprise, surprise! And it's just like it's amazing how much he's enjoying himself. You know, like he's super competitive. He's hitting, you know, clean return winners off of everybody's serve, and he's doing like the splits angle forehand cross court winners it's this is coming off of you know he just won the french open last week right or a couple weeks ago or whatever but it's it's amazing to me the the passion and the dedication that you know federer nadal and djokovic have for the game as well as serena definitely have to put her in there because it just keeps going these you know these players have had success that we may never see again and they just keep going and fighting and they're not doing it for the money they're doing it because they, they love it and they want to get the titles which is totally understandable so it's going to be a great fortnight look really looking forward to it 
Did you give us your dark horse, Parsa, for, for the men? No, you're right. Um, dark horse-wise, uh, you know, one, the reason I didn't give it was because Nishikori is kind of like as dark horse as you can get. Um, I'm going to give you that one. What was is that? He is he seated? No. So then he can be your dark horse. Yeah. But I'll, I'll pick a second one anyway. The, the other one I'm going to go with is uh, that can be disruptive is Tennis Sandgren. Um, yes. I like his attitude. He's not going to win anything, you know, but he can be an absolute pain in the tuchus, um, so to say. Um, there's a few of them out there. I think him, Kyrgios, is, is, is a pain. And uh, probably my other one, if I had to pick one, I think Kupfer uh, can be a pain as well. I think those guys are, are you know, chomping at the bit to... Um, you know, to make a name for themselves and, and to get out there and, and, and do some damage. Um, so I think uh, that, and I also think, by the way, the Brandon Nakashima, Taylor Fritz yeah, yeah. first round matchup. Saw that qualified, yeah. yeah, I think that's a tough one um, for Taylor Fritz. Uh, Nakashima's, you know, if he's moving better, and which it seems like he is, and, you know, his ball's super flat and stays low, it's, it's, he's a tough guy to play on the surface. Um, mm -hmm. And if he's truly maturing uh, as, as a tennis player, um, you know, he's got a, he's got a good future again, not a grand slam champion or anything like that, but, um, you know, you know, can be disruptive. Perfect. Okay. So that, that sounds all great to me. Uh, as everybody knows, Wimbledon gets underway Monday morning, uh, with Novak Djokovic leading off proceedings. Um, and, uh, the Fortnite will go on for a couple weeks. And Parsa and I will be back later in the season to preview the U.S. Open. In the meantime, you can follow us at Parsa Sammy on Instagram, as well as myself at On Mars and at Tennis Connected. You can also follow Tennis Connected's coverage on all social media platforms, um, as well as download this podcast on iTunes, Android, or you can listen to it right off of uh, the website. Uh, before we sign off, Parsa, thank you very much for your time uh, this week. Thank you, Nima. Thanks everybody out there for listening. Be good. Enjoy all of uh, what Wimbledon has to bring on the grass. And we will talk with you soon. Thanks again.